Thanks for downloading the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, which originally broadcast on Scala Radio, a station where we have fun with classical music. It's home to Penny Smith, Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, and me, Charles Nove. And you can find us on DAB Digital Radio, scalaradio.co.uk, and on the Scala app. Right, over to you, Charlie. Welcome back to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. And my friend at the moment (laughs) is Lucy Porter. And I hope we'll still be friends after this show. Uh, It's only deepened the bond, I like to think. I've found out (laughs) things about you that I could never have dreamt. Mostly, you know... We won't go into that. This is what we've been talking about while the music's been playing. (laughs) Um, So, so Lucy, you got into stand-up in the... 90s. Do you do you still tour a lot? Yeah, so I do um, the Edinburgh Festival every year and I write a new show and then I sort of tour that around art centres and small theatres, modest-sized venues that'll have me and I'm very grateful that they do. So do, so doing something like that, do you do you do sort of concentrated work when you've got the gigs coming up or, or are you sort of all the time squirrelling ideas away? No, I'm quite lazy. So, I mean, I really work to deadlines. Mm. So the, the reason stand-up comedy works for me is that at some point you will have to stand on a stage in front of a room full of people and say something to them yes. and the thought of that is sufficiently I'd never, terrifying. I'd never grasped that. Shows you how much I know. <laughs> that is very but, much but the nature no, yes, of the job. That, that, is, that is a gun against your head, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. So every year I'm like two weeks before the Edinburgh Festival. You Takes know. you two weeks. Yeah. All of two weeks. Basically, my husband's like, have you God, still that's not? a lot of funny stuff to write in two weeks yeah 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 well i just pull all-nighters and i do you know mm. it's like and then, but then when you're doing a show like that how much does it change and develop from, loads one, from and one gig loads, to another yeah. and i mean that again is the thing that i like about it because i have a very short attention span i mean mm. stand-up is a great gig if you've got you know short attention span high self-confidence low self-esteem basically those mm. are the kind of magic ingredients and, and what's so, your ideal length for a for a stand-up spot Oh, well, 40 minutes, I think, is the limit of human concentration. And I have done no scientific research into this, but I absolutely believe that to be the case. I think 40 minutes is absolutely spot Sounds on. Sounds ideal to me. Yeah, two 40-minute halves I do. Mm. And then maybe, if they're lucky at the end, I'll uh, And do you have do a sort a of a box of greatest hit or favourite gags that you will always pull out? No, because my memory's terrible. Completely right. gone. So, yeah, so I mean... don't go back and look at old shows and think, oh, I could... I could do that bit No, again. no. I mean, like an idiot, I, I haven't preserved most of my shows. <laughs> but that's what I kind of like about the stand-up as well as the ephemerality of it, that, you know, like a great concert or, you know, you have to be there on the night, I think, to really appreciate it. And I, I love yes. live art for that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most immediate thing you can do and the closest bond you can have with an audience, isn't it, really, that you're there saying stuff and presumably sometimes you'll say something for the first time and think, well, let's see where this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that oh, instant gosh. feedback from an audience is... I know, well, you know, like if you're doing telly or even radio, you have to wait to get commissioned and then you have to wait mm. for it to go on and then, you know, people write to, in my case, normally Radio 4 and complain vociferously about whatever you've done. <laughs> Whereas with stand-up, you know, it's it's out there and it's done. You write it in the afternoon, you do it in the evening and then you're in the bar by 10.30. Ideal. So let's have some music, Lucy. I asked you for a banger. Yes. <laughs> and you've come up with Casta Diva from Bellini's opera Norma. I do love it and it was one of those that I just happened upon. It was on, there was some 
tre- trendy Channel 4 youth programme when I was uh, in my early teens and they had some fashion item and this was the piece of music that accompanied it and I was stopped in my tracks by it and of course said to my dad what's this and he was delighted he was like oh I must play you Norma and uh, so did you sing it to him or do you remember it that well or, or how did you find out what it actually was I probably did do a little warm oh. you know I'm no Maria <laughs> Callas I'm obsessed with Maria Callas I think it's one of the great all time stories I think she's just has there, has there been a biopic of yeah there have been loads of I mean there's certainly been a lot of documentaries and I'm sure that I'm sure there has been Mm. A dramatisation of some sort. If not, Winona Ryder. That's who I'm saying. She'd Winona Ryder. She'd be a good. Uh, well, oh. do you remember Joanne Wally Kilmer, who was in Singing Detective, which yes. I watched again recently? She's a brilliant actress, and I've not seen her do anything for ages. Let's whack her on a Maria Callas uh, movie. Would have to be later life in Maria Callas. That's what I'm interested in, though. I'm not You're interested, not interested in, in, in young. Them, I'm not interested in young people at all. No, I think you want. So well, you'd have her looking with... back. Right. And then you'd yeah, have a young, yeah, yeah. you'd have like Millie yeah. Bobby Brown as the as the youthful <laughs> one or something. I don't know, young people, but I've heard of her. But no, I mean that that is proper a proper epitome of a diva, a proper epitome of a of a of a massive international star, isn't it? And the whole point of opera to me is not only should it be about suffering but the, the singer should suffer. I kind of think that it's you're not truly an artist if you're happy. So, you know, I, I love your Maria Callas's and your Edith Piaf's and, you know, people who've... Because you do, you bring that pain to your work, don't you? Well, you've made me feel terrible now because I'm I'm reasonably happy. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking, don't... that's it, I'm never going to sing opera. <laughs> I'm never going to be the new Maria Callas. I know, you are going to have to look for a... I mean, I'm certainly not casting you to play her in my movie. I'm sorry, oh, Charlie. Well, what about Anassis? I could do Anassis. I could do oh, a comedy Greek accent. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've heard your German and it's been yeah. incredible. So. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be kind of like a Stavros approach yeah, to, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. to being a Greek shipping magnet. All right, you're you're in. You on a boat, that's that's what I can picture. But yeah, I do, I, I love her voice so much. It's amazing. Okay. So this is Charlie Hickson and Friends on Scala Radio and I am talking to Lucy Porter. And we've talked, Lucy, about how you got into stand-up in the 90s and that presumably then opened lots of doors into doing other work. Mm. Yeah, well, there was it was the time when panel shows were huge, so there was mm. your Never Mind the Buzzcocks and Have I Got News For You and um, What The Week and stuff, so I kind of had a little period of doing a lot of those, some of which were tremendous fun, some of which were, like, absolute torture, worse than ironing. And uh, Do you want to talk about that, or shall we move swiftly let's on? Let's move swiftly on. I shall, <laughs> I shall iron it out later. I think I can my... know, one, know one of the shows you might be referring <laughs> to. Uh, but, yeah, no, I was really lucky to get I mean I was very lucky to get on all of those things and that yeah that kind of sort of was a crazy time of uh, you know it it did feel like comedy had become the new rock and roll and it was all sort of early 2000s well I think what what partly was happening was that that TV companies had never known really what to do with stand-ups other than showing them doing their gig so the idea of like oh we'll just put them together on a panel show and they can compete with each other to for screen time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a good, cheap way of using them. It is. And, I mean, actually, stand-up is cheap anyway. So, you know, all those shows like Live Mm. at the Apollo and stuff, you go, yeah, it's... it's 
enduringly popular putting comedians on telly because we mm. are quite you know it's a person in a microphone and you don't need a big band and you don't need dancers and sets and things so uh so yeah there was a definite sort of heyday of that kind mm. of comedy which i was lucky enough to coincide with and now i'm sort of I've slid off the screen and onto the radio a bit more. So I do. So do you, would you say you've sort of found a new home on Radio Four? I love that... Radio Four, but I always have, and I think I, I kind of feel so. I'm nearly fifty, and I feel much more comfortable and at home with middle age than I ever did with youth. <laughs> and I really, I think I was quite miserable until I was well into my thirties. So I. And not to say that Radio 4... That's a long time to be miserable. It was a long time to be miserable, yeah. Um, And, I I mean, I can look back and laugh now. And there were certainly high (laughs) spots. But, but yeah, I like sort of quiet contentment and reflection. And, Mm. uh, you know, not that Radio 4, of course, isn't a dynamic, exciting station that appeals to the youthful demographic that they're always Well, you see, this is the thing, because it often comes up that some, you know, someone new controller comes in at Radio 4 and they'll, they'll look at the statistics and they'll say, well... No young people listen to Radio 4. We've got to make it more for young people. And you have to say to them, look, just sit down for a minute and think about this. Young people have got a lot of other things that they can listen to yes. first, like Radio 1, although I'm not sure how many people, young people still do. <laughs> but when they get older, they will listen to Radio 4. Yeah. You don't have to make Radio 4 cater to young people because then the people who like Radio 4 won't want to listen to it anymore. It's and I did like it when I was young and I used to listen even yes, when I was exactly. a teenager well, you know, to all the comedy all the, shows. Yes, and, just a minute. And yeah, and the idea that they might then be trying to make something for me, I think yeah. I would have found a pool. So have you, have you managed to be on all those great Radio 4 shows that you listen to? So, like Just a Minute. As and, many as I can, yeah. So Just a Minute uh, is Sorry I Haven't a Clue. Fun. Now, I haven't done Sorry I Haven't yeah. a Clue yet, but I shall be dropping it's, heavy hints yes. to the producer of... Some of those that. shows are a little bit of a closed shop, aren't they? Oh, but do you know what, though? That is such a lovely group of people. Oh, yeah. So I do feel, yeah, I don't resent right. being on that really because they're all so lovely. And the, in fact, the producer of that also produces The Unbelievable Truth, which is one of my yes. favourite ones That's to do. That's a great show. Because, you know, you get to write a ridiculous essay and tell lies. And in fact, and I did compete against my husband on that. We always said we would never work together <laughs> because we thought we'd fall out. And it turns out we were absolutely right. Uh, we worked together on that and it got really quite unpleasant because... Lying to your spouse Ooh. is one thing, but was doing he able it to, to spot radio? your lies? No. Were you able to spot his? No. I mean, oh. clearly, we know nothing about well, each other. Well, that's that's a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> let's face it. <laughs> We're both blissfully unaware yeah. of the other's subterfuge and, uh, and and misdeeds. Charlie Higson and friends on Scala Radio. So, Lucy, one of the things I ask on this show is if people have a piece of music that. They'd like to share with the audience who may not be as familiar with it. Um, yes. So I, on coming on this show, I thought, oh gosh, do you know what? I'd really like to pick a piece of music by a female composer because I mm. think it's kind of important to uh, represent uh, women. And I sort of realised, oh my goodness, I don't actually know any. Um, so I went out looking mm. and uh, this is what I found. Okay. This is Improvisation Number 2 in A Major by Amy Beach. And so tell us a bit about Amy Beach then. So yeah, Amy Beach, uh, she was a pianist, but also an incredibly successful composer. And she composed the Gaelic Symphony, uh, which was the first symphony composed and published by an American woman. 
so she died in 1944 but so in the early 20th century she was so when when was a big the, deal when was that symphony so 1896 uh, was when the boston symphony orchestra performed right. the gaelic symphony uh, i mean it is interesting that the great the canon of what we call classical music that there are only a tiny handful of female composers in there. i mean i know it's the same in fine art and and so many places but and but it's also interesting that in the last 20 30 years a lot more female composers have come to the fore particularly in um composing for films yes and that area which is obviously it, 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 it it's i think it's probably very hard to be a classical composer these days to make money yeah so so obviously the outlet of, of film tv music is is really useful yeah, I've got a friend, uh, Carly Paradis, who is a brilliant composer who does... She uh, did Line of Duty. Ah, right, yeah. Which, you know, you do remember that sort of clanging, yeah. kind of amazing introduction to that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's doing brilliant work. And it's... I mean, you know, everything moves slowly, but it is... Mm. It's, you know, it's just very encouraging, isn't it? Well, here's a quiz for our listeners. What was the first symphony composed by a woman that was uh, performed in... The UK. Ooh. I'm putting it out as a quiz for the listeners because I have absolutely no idea <laughs> <laughs> what the answer is. And we don't have a prize either, but good no. luck with that, everybody. Uh, we'll come up with a prize. I've got a, I've got a quite nice bookmark in my bag. That but, I but that brings us around nicely to the fact that you are, and this is something that we, we bonded over when we met uh, in 2022 in the Lake District, uh, our shared love of quizzes yes pub quizzes tv quizzes yes the works and you 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 do a podcast about quizzes i do it's called fingers on buzzers and i present it with uh, jenny ryan who your listeners may know as the vixen well from you the see chase. I, I do know the vixen because I, when i did the chase mm-hmm. i've managed to do nearly all of the tv <laughs> quizzes luckily which i've loved doing but i did it and uh, I had Basil Brush on my team. Oh, lovely. So inevitably, they put us up against the Vixen. <laughs> uh, of course. But we, we won, actually. Yeah. Which was nice. Quite a significant amount of money, I believe, as well, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. We, 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 we had a good run. Yeah. Andy Peters sort of threw himself under a bus for us halfway through. <laughs> Bless him. I can imagine Andy Peters would do that. Yeah, but the guy working at Basil Brush had a really tricky job because he was he had to lie on the floor behind the desk, stick Basil Brush up the top. <laughs> he had to work Basil Brush. He had to say funny things for Basil Brush yes. to say. And he had to work the... Even though Basil had a buzzer, the actual buzzer, he was working with his knee on the floor whilst looking at a little monitor. I mean, that's so that, doing so five times For him to get even one question right was pretty amazing. That is incredible, because you'd have to remember that Basil's got to press the buzzer at the same time yes. that you're pressing and you, the buzzer. And, you know, particularly on if it's the kind of first to the buzzer, he never got first to the buzzer. No. I mean, I was on with Arge from TOWIE. Right. And he, <laughs> he didn't have that excuse, but he never got first the buzzer either. Right. So uh, but he was a did lovely you, man. Did you win on when you did the chase? We'd, well, I've done it twice, so I have, oh, right. I have won... Uh, which was me, Krishnan Guru Murthy, um, Jay Rayner, and Steve Davis. What's a I good love the up. weird you know, combinations of people <laughs> that you get, and they were all lovely, and we did very well on that one. Um, 
And then I was on, and it was the Christmas episode. We filmed oh, it in April. Big Christmas. We were episode. all wearing Christmas clothes oh, around Lord. the Christmas. Who was your Who was your chaser? Uh, it was uh, It was Mark that time. So ah, we had Anne the first time, and then we had Mark. Tough to beat. Oh, really tough to beat. And we did. I mean, it wasn't a humiliating defeat, but it was quite humiliating because at the end, obviously, we've just lost all this money for charity, and it's Christmas <laughs> Day, and then they set off a sort of confetti cannon, <laughs> and we're all standing there looking absolutely bereft um, as the Christmas music plays. So yeah, that you know, you, I've won one, I've lost one, so I, oh. I've experienced everything there is that life has to offer. Are there, are there any of the TV quizzes you haven't done that you really... Well, I only did Eggheads recently and I had been right. desperate to do that. I mean, Only Connect, obviously, is the connoisseur's Well, they don't choice. do the celebrity ones anymore. They used to, They yeah. did, because I did two of them. Did you? We filmed them both in the same day. One was for sport relief and one was for comic relief. Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous. It was great. Yes. Well, um, I think it's Emma Kennedy... Mm-hmm. The actress. She's great. She, she actually went on as a as a punter to do it because yeah, she was it so keen to Mitch do it. Ben, she had maybe, a little team, or... yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. do very well. No, well, that's it. I mean, I would never go on the real versions of any of these because obviously the celebrity versions, they make the questions a lot easier so you look a lot cleverer. Like University Challenge, I mean... Yes. Well, was... there, there's probably more arts questions on University Challenge when they got celebrities on. Less heavy science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know that we're not Unless really going to be... Um, and a bona fide scientist on, I suppose. Yeah, we were all very soft arts. Well, in fact, no, we had Christine Burns, who was brilliant. She's a computer scientist. But then oh. it was Judge Rinder and Jesse Armstrong. And how well did you me. do on University Challenge? We did, well, do you know, we did great. The first show, we did amazing. And we were like, this is the best thing ever. We're going to go to the final. We're going to win. <laughs> and we were all really pally with it. We were like, and oh, we're going to be best friends forever. And then you came up against College. And then, yeah, basically, <laughs> we, I can't remember who beat us. But, yeah, and then we were like, let's never speak of this yeah. again. And we shall never see each other well, again. Well, when, 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 when I did University Challenge, yes. we did get to the final. Oh, lovely. And we were smashed to pieces by um, <laughs> Rachel Johnson and her cronies from some Oxbridge college. Yes. But yes, no, because um, no, I, I was talking to Victoria Corrin Mitchell. <laughs> no, actually, she said it on the show that they, they won't do any more Celebrity Only Connect because she thinks that... The, and she rightly thinks that the the, the the ordinary people they have on are celebrities in their own yes, right. Yes, yes. And are much more interesting than than us bunch. I know. <laughs> well, actually, I think there is absolutely, she's bang on there, that it's such a beautiful mm. show. It is, and then don't mess with it. Because, like, the other one is House of Games, which... Yes, I did the pilot for that, actually. Oh, you see, in at the ground floor with that. But mm. everyone says, actually, now they should do a House of Games for... Non celebrities, yeah, because people are desperate to do it. And but so... Richard would only do things with celebrities now. <laughs> He's made so much money from his books. That's, I mean, yeah, he he doesn't even need to work ever again, does he? So, Lucy, we both have a shared love of quiz music, and that has influenced your love of um, <laughs> your love of Hans Zimmer. It has because it is a classic pub quiz question, isn't it? Mm. Of us. And, well, it'll give away the answer now. It's who wrote the music for Going for Gold, which was the classic uh, quiz show. Was that 90s or 80s? 
I would say it was 80s. It was to do with whenever the Seoul Olympics was because it was right. meant to be, They, they it was just going to be win tickets yeah. to the Seoul Olympics. And it Olympics was like a sort of Eurovision quiz show, wasn't it, of people all around Europe? Yeah, the most desperately unfair questions. situation yes. where it was it British like, people against yeah. people from English. Who played was not... Bridget in Coronation Street? <laughs> yes. I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but they were so lovely and jolly and it was, oh, do you know what? It was, a, a you know, however you feel about Brexit, it was a time when Europe seemed more kind of close yeah. and... Uh, it was fun and chummy. It was. It was a lovely show, and Henry Kelly was mm. unbelievably good on that. And in fact, we interviewed him for our podcast, and he is still just the most gorgeous man you've ever ever chatted to. So yeah, I loved going for gold, and that theme tune is an absolute banger. Yeah, which was written by Hans Zimmer, who's mm. now the biggest thing in film music, probably all music in the world now. And Lucy, we were talking about film music earlier. Um, in the light of your love of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence yes. by Ryuichi Sakamoto. That film that I can't get enough of. Yes. <laughs> I've never seen. But uh, you have chosen now for another piece, which is actually from one of your favourite films. Yes. Um, so this is from The Apartment, and it's Adolf Deutsch. Sort of classical Hollywood film music, which there's, yes. there's a sound there that instantly transports you into the glamour of being in the cinema and watching those films. All that, I assume you've probably never seen The Apartment actually in a cinema. I never have, but I would love to. And they do occasionally, they pop it yes. on at film festivals, so I will one day. But yeah, I love... Uh, I mean, and it is incredible the range of what he does in that movie because it's all set around Christmas and mm. New Year and so there's sort of celebratory bits and then there's, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen The Apartment, you absolutely must because it's Billy Wilder at his finest and it's heartbreaking and Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon mm. are just such an amazing couple. Um, and it, yeah, very romantic, very sad and... Uh, and know, also funny as incredible. well. And hilarious, and, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, is is hard to pull off but Billy Wilder was a was yeah. a master at that. Those great last lines, you know, like shut up and deal in this one or <laughs> nobody's perfect from someone like it hot. So yeah. yeah. Um yeah, but beautiful music as well. Jonathan Coe has written a great book about uh, Billy Wilder and the relationship with his writer IAL Diamond. Mm -hmm. Which is about the making of Billy Wilder's last I think it was his last film. Fedora, unfortunately not a great film. Mm. Uh, but it's a really interesting book and it's about the relationship between a, um, a director and a writer who's worked on so many films together mm. and that, that really interesting relationship. And I believe Jonathan is uh, writing a film script to that and that's going to be a, a film. Because I, I love anything about um, creative people, particularly writers, and it's very difficult to film that because yes. the process of writing is not a spectator sport. No, it really isn't. You sit there and... I mean, in the old days when, when writers at least had typewriters, you could have the classic scene of them hammering away and tearing the paper <laughs> yes. up and screwing it and throwing it in the waste bin and missing. And then yes. you see a pile of about 100 sheets of paper. <laughs> and, that, and they'd all be smoking as well, yes. which, again, you couldn't do and nowadays. And that is essentially, apparently, what the writing process is. A um, little quiz question for you. Are there okay. any uh, movies, books or whatever about uh, the collaboration between a composer and a director? or about scoring, because that's a good 
that's a more interesting process to watch, isn't it? Is someone... Well, yeah, because... It, and you can actually hear the music. Yes. Which is a good thing. Um, Charlie Chaplin, I always think, is quite interesting in that respect, that he kind of was desperate to score his own... Because I think eventually... Was it Limelight? He, I think he wrote the music did, for Limelight, yes. didn't he? Um, I think he might even have won an Oscar for it. I think he might have done, you know. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, but that sort of because he was such a kind of control freak, you sort of go, mm. yeah, it was the last thing there to. I'm going to do the music as well. I'm going to do it all. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is something that is easier to to put on screen the the, the writing of music, the development of music. Mm. When uh, Hitchcock was making uh, Rear Window, because uh, James Stewart is looking into these different apartments oh, and following terrific, the d- yeah. story, different stories, directing, he wanted to do something which he said he never quite pulled off, which was at the beginning we we start to see that there's a composer with a yes. piano in one of the apartments, and he's starting to write a piece, and he, and Hitchcock wanted to be at the, the without necessarily being aware of it. Each time we come back, he's he's got he's written more of it, and it's growing and then at the end it, I think his plan was originally it would you know that he would hear the music on you know in a TV show or something that was on the TV yeah clever but he never pulled it never off pulled it off <laughs> in the seven year itch is the guy in the seven year itch a composer I feel like he might be he does something creative doesn't yeah, he yeah I'm just trying to remember so we're coming up to the final stretch here on Charlie Higson and Friends and I've been really enjoying talking to my guest stroke friend today <laughs> Lucy Porter <laughs> We've got some of John Barry's fabulous music for James Bond. Without John Barry's music, would have been very different. And that was from Thunderball. It's a, a piece called Bond Below Disco Volante, and it's got all the the great thing about it is it's got all the all the sort of uh, well, you, you could call them cliches of what you put in for underwater music. <laughs> Particularly, you have to have a harp. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, I, I hear a harp. I see mermaids and yes. starfish and... Yeah, fronds of seaweed, seagrass. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, as I was saying, you know, I think the, the, the music that John Barry brought to those films, without that, I don't think those films would have lasted at all the way they did. No, I mean, I uh, really hated Bond for years and uh, kind of... Well, I won't be having you back on the show. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I have. I've seen the light now. Uh, James Bond and the musical Queen are two things that I absolutely <laughs> hated, and largely thanks to the influence of my husband, I've uh, I've managed to come around to both of those. So yeah, now I love a Bond, uh, and the kids absolutely love them. Absolutely love them. And you're right, the music is absolutely extraordinary. And oh, and the clothes and the oh, the whole sort of. Mise-en-scene, I'm going to say mise-en-scene, I don't really know what it means. Yeah. But, uh. yeah, well, you know, they invented that whole idea of the sort of big international thriller. Yes. For better or worse. But but the reason I've played it is to is to tee up your next choice oh, of music, which, which is some more water music. A watery theme, it does. So, yes, I chose this. So it's Handel's Water Music. And I chose this because it has a very special place in my heart mm. because I included this in a sitcom that I wrote, which was called The Fair Intellectual Club. And I did one glorious series of it 
and Ray J4 said it's so good we couldn't bear to have you dilute the genius of it uh, by making any more of them, which I think was an artistic choice I, I respect. What, what was it about? <laughs> it was actually based on a play that I'd written um, which was based on a true story mm-hmm. of a club called the Fair Intellectual Club which was a group of girls in Edinburgh in the early 1700s who saw all the interesting things that their brothers and male counterparts mm. were studying because, you know, it's obviously the dawn of the Enlightenment and Edinburgh was a great seat of learning um, and they were like, hang on, there's all this maths going on and there's all this science and why do we just have to paint flowers on vases and learn how to look pretty? And, and, and did you write it as a sitcom or as a as No, I wrote a drama. it as a drama. Right. Um, and because they published a pamphlet, which was an amazing source material, so they published this kind of manifesto, essentially saying this is this is who we are, this is what we want. And so I wrote a piece for three, because uh, th- there were three founder members of this club, so I mm. wrote a, po- a piece for three young actresses, which we did in Edinburgh, and that went well. And so then Radio Four commissioned a sitcom off the back of it. So the, which you know, obviously, then it became more knockabout fun, and I decided that they would meet great figures of the day in right. each episode so they you know they met Newton and uh, they uh, I mean some of the time periods were a little bit dicey but um, <laughs> but they did uh, they met Handel and it was the the idea was that Handel was lacking inspiration you know he's he's kind of fallen out with George the first and he right. needs to he's lost his mojo come up with some amazing piece of music for this concert on the Thames and they inspire him with their kind of their learning and their philosophy and their general sort of uh, intellectual heft. So uh, it was quite a sweet thing to write. And of course, it being a sitcom, I got one of my friends in to do a comedy German accent, <laughs> which if I'd known you could do it so well, I would have uh, I would have booked you for it. Um, oh, ladies, you've given me a great idea. Yes! <laughs> I shall write some yeah. water music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's very much how it went, yes. And uh, so then it, and it's just a lovely sort of end I mean always end on a song and if you can end Mm. on Handel I mean what could be better and inspired by that I'm going I've chosen as uh, my last piece of music uh, some music that I used on the fast show oh now the great thing about making programs for the BBC is that they have a blanket copyright agreement for Mm -hmm. music so you can up to a point use any music you like without having to pay vast sums of money mm. for it. So one of the things I enjoyed doing on, on The Fast Show was putting in, using great bits of music. And the characters of Ted and Ralph were, were, were unexpectedly popular with the, oh, yes. with the audience. And we did, a, we did a scene where um, Ted is trying to teach Ralph how to fish, how to fly fish. Mm-hmm. On the uh, on on a riverbank, and as we know from uh, Gone Fishing, Paul Whitehouse is very keen fisherman. <laughs> yes. um, and as we know from Gone Fishing, he sort of gets so involved in the fishing he forgets he's making a television program, <laughs> which slightly happened when we were filming this sketch where he's trying to teach me, and he just wanted to actually fish for himself. <laughs> But but Ted is telling an anecdote about how when he was younger there was a burning building and he went in to rescue a small boy. Oh yes. And so we 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 needed some music that was sort of slightly eerie, mm. and would slightly sort of do that kind of that sort of uh, dissolving back in time type music that they used to to, to do. Going back to the um, 
John Barry using harps. Yes, exactly, in, the classic in, harp in, flashback. Yes, it's that yeah, sort of yeah. w- watery. So Arvo Peart, who wrote a cantus in memory of Benjamin Britten, would never have expected <laughs> that his music would be used in a cheap comedy sketch. <laughs> but this is the music we, we used. Um, Arvo Peart wrote for the Fast Show. <laughs> he didn't realise it at the time. The punchline of the sketch was Ted goes away and Ralph is thinking about this story. And he goes, oh, it was me, wasn't it? And Ted says, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, I have so much enjoyed talking to you and finding out more about you and um, making proper friends with you. Oh, do you know, it's been an absolute delight and I feel relaxed by many of your choices. I feel invigorated by the crazy clanking... Yes, we've had music for every mood. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. The Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast on Scala Radio a radio station that celebrates classical music in all its shapes and sizes. Why not join me, Charles Nove, for breakfast weekday mornings between 7 and 10? It would be wonderful to have you. Scala Radio broadcasts across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, on your smart speaker, the Scala Radio app, and online at scalaradio.co.uk. 